Today is Wednesday, November 30th, and you're listening to the Morning Announcements presented by Betches Media. I'm your host, Sammy Sage, and the Morning Announcements is your daily five-minute breakdown of the headlines that isn't afraid to take a side and roast the most consequential reality show there is, our government. As early voting for the Georgia Senate runoff continues this week, we have new information about Republican candidate Herschel Walker's Georgia residency situation. Or I should really say, not residency situation. According to Walker's own financial disclosure forms from 2021, his wife Julie Blanchard collected tens of thousands of dollars in rental income for the Georgia residents that he had used as his official address to launch his Senate campaign last year. Not only that, but Herschel Walker doesn't even own the property at all. According to Fulton County Tax and Property Records, the house is solely owned by his wife, who, by the way, also didn't even live there. Because between 2020 and 2021, Julie Blanchard's company was also receiving an unreported $50,000 in COVID relief loans tied to Herschel Walker's address in Texas. So basically, not only did Herschel Walker not live in Georgia, But the home his wife owns in Georgia that he used as his residence to run for Senate is actually just a rental property. And I would say that I hope the $1,500 homestead tax break was worth all of this, but that would suggest that Herschel Walker's reputation could get worse than it already was. Now on to some headlines from the legislative body that I hope Herschel Walker will never be a part of. The Senate has voted 61 to 36 to pass the Respect for Marriage Act, which will grant some protections to same-sex and interracial couples. The bill clarifies protections for religious liberties and would require that people be considered married in any state as long as the marriage is valid in the state where it was performed. Which is why I don't say that this legislation codifies the right to same-sex and interracial marriage. Because in reality, it only applies as long as the Supreme Court does not overturn the right to same-sex and interracial marriage. Regardless, the legislation still has to pass the House of Representatives before it can be signed into law by President Biden. And he is a busy, busy Biden. Yesterday, he called on Congress to act to divert a freight rail strike before early next month. Here's the story. For the past several months, rail companies and their unionized workers have been in negotiations over a new labor contract, but they have yet to reach an agreement over key points like sick leave, changing punishing schedules that require constant on-call periods with strong penalties for taking sick days, and at least a 25% raise in wages between 2020 and 2024. For the past few years, working conditions for freight rail workers have been deteriorating as workforces have been slashed, which ultimately decreases the safety of both the trains and the towns that they pass through, just in case you are in the market for a new anxiety. So now that the deadline for an agreement is looming, Given the lack of consensus and how disastrous a nationwide rail strike would be, Biden is urging Congress to swiftly pass legislation that would impose the labor agreement that his administration helped broker. But it has not been accepted by all the rail unions. Congress has other options, though. They could push back the strike deadline and extend the period for negotiating, or require the two sides to involve an arbitrator, or simply enact the deal directly through voting for it. And I'm not going to pretend like I knew it was legal for the government to do that, but apparently it is, if both houses of Congress agree to it. President Biden, who is notoriously an Amtrak lover, said that without freight rail, many industries would shut down. And it's been estimated that up to 765,000 Americans could be put out of work in the first two weeks alone. And not in the fun way. 
Next, we have a few big January 6th headlines. First, a federal jury found two leaders of the extreme right-wing militia, the Oath Keepers, guilty of seditious conspiracy for their months-long work in planning the insurrection. The founder, Stuart Rhodes, and the lead Florida Oath Keeper, which is like the jumbo shrimp of Oath Keepers, Kelly Eggs, they were both found guilty of conspiring to forcefully oppose the peaceful transition of power. Their other three associates who were on trial were not convicted of seditious conspiracy, but all five were convicted of obstructing Congress in their certification of the vote. And for some bigger picture context, seditious conspiracy is a pretty big deal of a charge. It is extremely rare and dates back to the Civil War and carries up to 20 years in prison. It has also been 68 years since an American was convicted of sedition. So yeah, I guess we can make America great again too. Also yesterday, Trump's former deputy chief of staff and former Secret Service agent Tony Ornato met with the January 6th committee. Ornato was a key figure who was reportedly present for the infamous car ride where Trump allegedly lunged at the agent driving his motorcade to get him to go to the Capitol so Trump could be part of the insurrection. Ornato is also likely privy to those missing Secret Service texts from January 5th and 6th, which I have a hunch were two of the most exciting days in his group chat. Meanwhile, in the Georgia branch of the insurrection, the South Carolina Supreme Court has unanimously ordered Mark Meadows to comply with the Fulton County Special Grand Jury subpoena for his testimony in Georgia. The five-court justice described Meadows' position that he should not have to testify as, quote, manifestly without merit, which I think a few people could consider for their social media bios. Anyway, Meadows' testimony is relevant to this Georgia investigation because he was allegedly on the phone when Trump called Georgia Secretary of State Brad Braffensberger and asked him to find 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have. And finally for today, we are going to France. France's highest court has ruled that a man who was fired by his company in Paris for allegedly failing to be fun enough at work was wrongfully dismissed. The man was fired from his company, Cubic Partners, in 2015 after he refused to take part in seminars and weekend social events that his lawyer said included excessive alcoholism and promiscuity. He alleged that the fun culture in the company involved humiliating and intrusive practices, including mock sexual acts, crude nicknames, and obliging him to share his bed with another employee during work functions. He was fired in 2015 for professional incompetence for allegedly failing to adhere to the firm's values. Sounds like someone's boss went a little too far with the Jordan Belfort cosplay. Thank you for listening to the morning announcements. If you're a fan of the show, please consider leaving me a five-star rating on Spotify and or review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, please share the show with your friends or on your Instagram story or TikTok. Your support has helped us grow so much and reach so many new listeners, and we are excited to keep it going. And of course, we are excited for you to be a part of that. Until tomorrow, I'm Sammy Sage, and now you know what the fuck is going on. Betches.